0: Thank you, Martin. I didn't realize I was going to get quite such a welcome, so that's lovely. So thank you very much. As I, as I come and speak to you this morning, I have to say, I have to put in a disclaimer because the title of the talk today is The Ups and Downs of Church Planting. And I have to say that uh, at the moment, our church is not involved in church planting. I know we would like to be in the future, but it's a case of Paul is. And what we're doing today is we're going to take Paul as an example of somebody who is church planting, but we're going to use it to encourage us as we share our message with other people. And I have to say that uh, the poem that we've heard, the prayer that we heard, all feed into this, and so you can see God's hand on this morning. The other thing I want to tell you, and it's interesting that G's already been mentioned, is that 40 years ago in May, G and I set out on what could be called our first missionary journey to Brazil. Now, we were going to serve with the Baptist Missionary Society, and uh, we're, we were going to be house parents for the missionaries' children who were studying in Sao Paulo. Now, at the time, Laker Airways were. In the air, and some of you will know of those. And the great thing was you could take a lot of luggage with you. But the other thing was you had to have lots of stops. So between here and São Paulo, where we were going, there were five flights, five different stops. Now, I had never flown before. And uh, this was my first time of flying. It was quite an adventure. But the bit I most remember was arriving in Miami, where we had to spend a few days, sorry, days, hours, a few hours, and uh, we decided we wanted to send our parents a postcard to say that that's as far as we'd got. The difficulty we had in getting understood and understanding what was being said to us, well, I never really could understand it. It was amazing. I thought, this is a country that speaks my language but I was very far from the truth in that. That was very off-putting. So imagine my delight when finally we got to Sao Paulo and we went through customs and we were met by somebody who had the strongest Cockney London accent that you could ever imagine. It was such a feeling of being welcomed by somebody who would understand us and we could understand him. And he became a very close colleague. We felt very welcome. Now, why am I saying all that? Well, I think that's how Paul must have felt when he was going around from synagogue to synagogue, from group of people to the next group of um, Jews. That's how he felt. He felt he was going to places who would understand him, with whom he shared things in common. We know that not everywhere had a synagogue, but today we're hearing about him going to Thessalonica, and there he was able to meet with people who understood some of the scriptures and with whom he could feel uh, some sort of a a communication. So let's read our passage today, and it's in Acts chapter 17, and we're going to read the first 10 verses together to start with. So when they... That's Paul, Silas, and it would seem Timothy as well, and possibly others as well. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other poor brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all defying Caesar's decrees and saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil, and then they put Jason and the others on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And we're going to follow them to Berea in a minute or two. But first of all, let's have a a recap. If you remember, we've had the Council of Jerusalem. And then this is now Paul's second missionary journey. And the idea was that he was going to revisit and extend the uh, reaching out to the Gentiles. But he was going to go to the Jews first. That was the way in for him. He had a call from a man to come over to Macedonia. And it's on that vision that we are still working. So first of all, he went to Philippi. And we heard last week of all the times, uh, all the things that happened there and the excitement and the bad things that happened in Philippi. And here he is going from Philippi to Thessalonica. And he goes through uh, Amphipolis and also Apollonia. He passes them by. I'll come back to them at the end. His strategy, you see, was to set up centers, and from there the gospel would spread. So, we had some wonderful encounters last week with, in, with Paul in Philippi, where they went to a place of prayer. But I have to say, in Thessalonica, there was a synagogue, so that's where Paul went. And there he went and he met with Greeks who were called God-fearers, and he went to speak to the, to the Jews. Now, he was a visitor, but he was known to be a Pharisee. And Pharisees had very good education. They knew how to speak to people. They knew how to debate. They could reason, and they could take the textual argument. And so, not surprisingly, he was invited to address them. Now, I have to say to you that that happens in other missionary contexts, I know. Recently, in a conversation with Lizzie, who's in Peru... Uh, she told me that when she went to check out the water filters in Mariscal Gamara, she took a raft of material with her because she knew she would be asked to speak either to the children and or to the adults. And sure enough, she spent a lot of her time there speaking to the, uh, to the other people about her Christian faith. It was a common thing to happen. Here was a Paul, a man of standing, a man who obviously understood his scriptures, and he was invited to preach. So what did he preach about? Well, first of all, he started with where they were at. And they knew their scriptures, the Old Testament as far as we're concerned. They knew those scriptures, they read them, and they reasoned, could reason from that. And that's where he started. He started from their point of contact. And he realized that actually their understanding of the expectation of a Messiah was missing a little bit somewhere. In that they were expecting this wonderful Messiah to come in and to save them, to overthrow the Romans, to bring justice and victory. And sure enough, we know that when Jesus comes again, that is what he's going to do. But their understanding of the Messiah didn't include the fact that he was going to suffer and he was going to die. And so using their own scriptures, using the scriptures that the Jews and Paul knew, he spoke to them about the fact that, Jesus, uh, that the Messiah was indeed going to suffer and through his death there was going to be justification. So he began then to speak about Jesus, about his life and his death, and his resurrection, and the whole hope and the thrust of salvation that comes from Jesus. And then Paul said, Jesus and the Messiah, they're the same. So he had a three-point, threefold thing, if you like. One, the Messiah, two, Jesus, and then thirdly, he brings them together. And what's the response? The response is wonderful, like it had been in Philippi. We are told that there were not a few Gentile, God fearing men who attended the synagogue who believed. Yes, and there were Jews. And there were not a few eminent women, which obviously pleases me. <laughs> but them. And I have to say, in this story, we have equal weight is given to the negative as it is to the positive. The Jews are jealous. Why? What are they jealous of? Why are they called jealous? Well, I think anybody who gives a popular message or if somebody is being seen to be popular and understood is going to cause, have some people who are jealous of them. Wherever things are well received, there is a jealousy. We know that ourselves as we look at life. And then, of course, Paul had notoriously changed sides. He'd been their great champion. He'd been the one who'd been persecuting Christians. And now he was one of them. Yes, they were jealous. And they did what quite a few other people were doing. And we can see it in our own time. They went to the marketplace and they stirred up a mob. They found some people who would be happy to go with them to cause a fuss. And so they went to Jason's house. Now, Jason had obviously given a home to Paul and the other uh, believers. So he, it seems to be like a, a place where a church could meet. And when they went there, they didn't find Paul. And so what did they do? They put, took poor old Jason and they took him up before the magistrates. And they, they accused him as if they were accusing Paul. First of all, they said, They'd been causing trouble all over the world. Well, all over the world was all over the known Roman world. And who was causing the trouble is my question. But that's what they were accused of. And they were also accused of the fact that they were saying that Jesus was a king. And that was going to go against the fact that the Roman emperors were the kings, if you like. They were the highest people. To say another king was reigning was traitorous indeed. It was a very serious charge. And so when the people in Thessalonica heard this, they were very concerned because they didn't want their city to be known as somewhere where it's going to go against Caesar because they knew that the Roman overlords were really quite uh, brutal in their putting down of insurrections. And so the magistrates bound Jason over until he could get Paul and Silas away. So that's what happened to, to them in uh, Thessalonica. It sounds very similar to Philippi doesn't it? There's a wonderful giving of the good news, then there's op- uh, and there's a response, and then there's opposition. So he gets them away at night, And they go on to their way to Berea, which is about 45 miles away. So let's continue reading from Acts chapter 17. And we'll start again in verse 10. So on arriving there, that's in Berea, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were more of a a noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul had said was true. Many of the Jews believed, and did also, a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. When the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea, and the man who escorted Paul brought him to Athens, and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. It's becoming a, quite a, a pattern that we can see, isn't it, of what's happening? So once again, he finds the synagogue. But here, I want to point out to you that he doesn't just go on the Sabbath days as he had done in Thessalonica. He goes daily because the people were so receptive. They received the message and they examined it for themselves. Now, I think that's wonderful that here we've got the most famous Apostle Paul, who we know later writes 13 New Testament books. He's a theologian. He's somebody who can be very expressive. He has his pharisaical background. And yet they still check out that what he's saying is true. Now I think that's a really good habit to form. Even when we have people who we can hear, uh, we think very highly of, we need to check out what is being preached and we need to work it through for ourselves. And so as Paul was able to teach them, they were able to search the scriptures and find out what the scriptures said for themselves. So they knew for themselves that it was true. But then came the Jews from Thessalonica, and they caused trouble. Again, they get a bit of a mob going, a group of people coming to to point out the fact that they are going again. These people who we've run out of Thessalonica, now they're here in Berea, and they're causing trouble here. And there is a threat of persecution so I think the thing here we can say is that Jesus had warned us as followers and he had warned the, his apostles that what had happened to him was going to happen to them. That what they had seen in him was true for them too. And it's true for us today. So although the Jews had agitated the crowds and stirred them up, they this is very much like had happened to Jesus when the crowds on that Friday morning uh, or the Thursday, had, the crowd had been gathered together and had been turned against Jesus and they shouted, crucify him. Yeah. What happened to Jesus happened to the apostles. And so I would say to you, and as Jesus would say, we need to expect it to happen to us as well. So it's not a surprise, is it, that wherever the gospel goes, then there is opposition. So again, what did the... the Christians did at Berea, they got them to, they got Paul on his way, they sent him on his way, but they left Silas and Timothy. And I think that's again a really great point because it tells us that Paul didn't think he had to do it all himself. Paul could understand that actually Silas and Timothy were able to take those people on, they were able to develop them. So they wouldn't just be converted, they would actually go on to learn and to be. Um, to be a church themselves. So what can we learn today from Paul's adventure here? Well, I was talking to Grace Parry. I'm not sure if she's here this morning. I don't think so. But uh, I asked her permission if I could share this with, with you. Grace and I were in the car and we were chatting and we were saying, what do you feel about Paul? Do you What do you feel about him and as an example? And I know Grace very well. And I said, do you feel he's a bit up there? Somebody that you can't perhaps reach or attain that kind of uh, grandeur. And she agreed with me that that's how we might be tempted to look up to Paul. So I don't want to bring Paul down, but I do want to bring us up this morning. And to say, let's have a think about somebody like Grace, who wouldn't consider herself to be a missionary, doesn't go very far. But she has visits, phone calls. She reaches out to her neighbors, to her family, to her friends. She offers to pray. She buys or lends a book. She invites friends in for a carol sing. I can remember all sorts of times when, as a midweek group, we've supported Grace in whichever venture she's on at that time, constantly sharing what she knows. And that's what I feel Paul did. Paul had the ability because he had the education. He had the reasoning skills, and so he did what he did. He did what he was good at. But you and I, we have things that we're good at. It might be like grace, and it's your family and your friends. Or it might be that you can share with those people that you have interests. you share interests with. Paul went to the Jews. Who are the people that we communicate with? Who are the people that understand us? Where do you go to shop? Or the pub, or the club, or the library? Where are those places that you would have something in common with the people there? And then, what is our starting point as we reach out and tell them the good news? Surely the starting point today is what are people hoping for? What are they afraid of? What are they thinking at this particular time? And we could start with them and what they believe, and we could then explain how we have a hope, which we've heard this morning. We have a wonderful security. We have a knowledge that can help them as it helps us. Or perhaps the beliefs that they are around in our world, that Jesus was a good man, just simply a good man. We'll start there, because he certainly was a good man, but then we can bring in the fact of the rest of his life We need to bring Jesus into our conversations. We need to explain about his life and death and the offer of security that he gives. And we need to be on the front foot. Now, I brought mine up with me today to say, yes, let's have these available. There's no point in just thinking about, oh, sometime I might use it. Let's have it ready to be used. There are all sorts of ways in which we can have things ready. Now, as a woman, I have a handbag, and so I have a Bible-sized handbag. So, no, the other way around. (laughs) I have a a Bible that will go in my handbag. You knew what I meant. (laughs) And, you know, it struck me that here we have, in Berea, we have people who are studying the Bible for themselves. And I think we need to have a bit more confidence in the Bible itself. We need to encourage people to read it, to discover more about it, to examine it. So I would say to those people who aren't Christians yet, why not read the Bible, find ways of studying it? Now, there are so many different ways today available to us. Christine's there at the Illuminate bookshop in town, who will have rafts of things that will help you to read the Bible and reading notes. Then there's online. There are the Daily Truth Nuggets, and there are all sorts of ways in which you can engage with the Bible and that's what we need to encourage our friends, families, those contacts that we make, to actually read the Bible for themselves and study it because it stands up to that kind of a study. And then for ourselves, perhaps we need to go on studying it. We need to keep working out what are the truths that we find therein. What about Freedom in Christ courses? Or inviting people to Alpha and then to go on to the start right course that keeps going. But my final point this morning is what happens when the opposition comes? What happens to us where we don't often have what happened to Paul? There isn't a mob outside waiting for me to stop or even to interrupt us this morning. But quite often, we will find times when there will be negative things that will happen and be said, when we're trying to be kind and giving the gospel. We have to accept the fact that Jesus does divide opinion. He told that wonderful parable about the sower and about how the word goes into all sorts of different ground and where it's stony and where the weeds come and and people don't receive it. But thankfully, too, there is a wonderful seed that goes into the good soil and there is a hundredfold. So the temptation with Thessalonica particularly, I think, is to see the negatives, to see, oh, look what happened to them there. But if we see the whole picture, don't just look at the negatives. We see that a church was established, and we know that because we have the letter to the Thessalonians. We know that there were Greeks there, there were Jews, there were God-fearing people, there were women, and they accepted the message. Yes, a church was established. And we don't know what will happen when we share our faith with other people. We thank God for sensible people like Jason, who was kind and hospitable and was prepared to be hauled up in front of the magistrates. And there's somebody from Berea mentioned at the end of Acts, a person called Sopater. So let's not forget the individuals, too. They are important, And oh, by the way, you remember at the beginning I said that he passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia. I found it a great delight to realize that they weren't forgotten by God either because they had bishops very early on in the church history. So you never know where those small seeds are going to go and where they reach out to. So I want to encourage you, and we had that wonderful poem this morning, which I'm sure will go on Facebook, I want to encourage you to see the fact that it's our mission, it's our ministry too. And whatever comes, whatever opposition comes our way, we need to take what Paul did and we need to do it in our way for God's glory and for his kingdom to come. Thank you.